Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to the Will I Like It podcast. Today, my guest via Zoom is Matt Cockin from the Fruit Pig Company. Welcome, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so you've come on today particularly because I was drawn to your black pudding, um, which we'll get to in a bit because I've got some that you've sent me here and we're going to cook it up and, and have my first yeah. taste. I've, I've been waiting for most of this week for this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite exciting. Um, so... I will just uncover this one as well, which I pre-cooked because you sent me a haggis as well. And as well, it's haggis season, so I thought it was appropriate to send you a haggis as well. It is exactly. Um, so yeah, so what is it that you do at the Fruit Pig Company? Uh, we started off as general butchers, but then we realised um, as we developed through Grant and I wanted to make something more unique because there's some very good butchers up in Norfolk and Cambridgeshire. Yeah, uh, the business was fine, but it wasn't, you know lighting any candles really we um, sent our animals because we we're both smallholders i was a smallholder to a local abattoir we asked if we could collect the blood and initially that was all fine and we started to collect the blood and we mm. started to make a fresh blood black pudding we knew it was rare uh, but actually in those early days about six seven years ago we didn't realize how rare a mm. fresh blood black pudding was so <coughs> pardon me i've got a bit of a tickle so we started to make it, started to get, you know, 30 kilos, turned into 40 kilos, turned into 50. Mm. The recipe was very nice. And as we became more expert, mm. we realised that all the famous names now, now make it with, as, as I said before, uh, earlier on when we had a quick chat, dried blood powder. And yeah, you're aware of yeah. that as well. I mean, industrial productions like in Lancashire, it's probably a lot easier to open a bag unpowdered blood, add water, but also BSE killed off an awful lot of that side of the abattoir working. So most yeah, of the blood, yeah. in fact, almost all the blood that's um, harvested these days is thrown away and goes into <coughs> fertilisers or gets incinerated. But we're slaughtermen. Once we realised it was quite a USP, we then pushed hard to keep it because we realised our business was growing. So from general butchers... We now manufacture nearly 40 tonnes of fresh blood black pudding a year. We make wow. a white pudding and we also make a haggis uh, that we sell, especially in January time, uh, for, 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 uh, for Burns Night. So we're primarily the only fresh blood black pudding producers in the country now. So wondering, actually, is that why So you, you sort of, I think you said you more recently you became um, Sorterman? That's 2016, we qualified. We yeah. We used to work to to, to garner favour at the abattoir to collect the blood. Yeah. <clears throat> we used to work in the lairage, which is where you corral the animals, right, uh, for for pre inspection, and you look after them, and then you put them through the abattoir process. They changed the law mm. uh, in 2017, 2016, that you had to be a slaughterman to do the lairage duty. So we got oh, right. thrown out. So we yeah. then qualified as slaughterman to be able to do that job. And also, of course, we then did the ultimate job of um, dispatching the animals and harvesting the blood. Mm. And it's something, although it's obviously not a, a nice thing to talk about generally, it's something that we're proud of because it means that we're responsible for the, the whole process. And like I said, it's not a dinner party mm. conversation, but it's something yeah. that we're quietly proud of because we're not just picking stuff up that someone else has had to do. Yeah, We're doing the whole thing. And uh, like I say, 
It's what we do, do it every Thursday. Yeah. We now go to a larger abattoir because we need more blood. And actually the small abattoirs, like a lot of abattoirs, have closed now. So uh, no, we, we work as we don't work as slaughtermen anymore. It's a bigger factory. But yeah. because we are slaughtermen and we have the qualifications, the abattoir owner is happy for us to be there. Right. And he's rather pleased. He buys and sells our black pudding as well. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, really, so, so the whole process really was just to give you access to the blood to make it properly, shall we say? Initially, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. There was very little. There was very little thought about what the whole story was about. It was just to get access to the product. Mm. Uh, but like I say, it's now developed into something because it is so rare that yeah. we're quietly proud of. Yeah, you know, every business wants a, a unique selling point. Uh, because it makes a difference and that is ours it certainly makes you stand out doesn't it i mean that's um, <clears throat> that was what drew me to you in the first place as i've mentioned to you before a friend of mine is a goat farmer and <clears throat> she was singing the praises of how much better your black pudding was to you know stuff made with powder um and so i thought it was worth having a chat and having a taste at the same <laughs> time is the important thing so i've just turned my frying pan on we can carry on talking um but i'm going to put some of your Black pudding on, so I can actually taste some, so I know what we're talking about. Good. So you've never um, tried it before? Never before. So oh God, oh as God. I say, it arrived this week. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, deliberately, my wife's been going, can we, can we have some for Brett? No, we can't have any yet. I'm going to wait until Sunday. <laughs> so I'm just going to fry it in a bit of butter. Is that the best, best thing, do you think? It's whatever, it's whatever you like to do. Um, That's obviously, butter is nice and rich yeah <coughs> a bit of oil so obviously if you grill it there's no fat there's just the natural fats yeah in the black pudding i know some black puddings are low fat ours is reassuringly not low fat okay <laughs> what else goes into your pudding i'm just having a look now but i'm sure you uh, can most, tell me. most northern black puddings uh tend to have a meal in them uh english black pudding tends to have uh, oats in Scottish black pudding tends to have oats and barley. Anyone can see that. So they're the barley kernels there. They're they're the cooked barley, uh, pearl barley, that we cook first, and then we put it in. So ours is quite nutty, like a a Scottish black pudding. We love the Scottish style. Uh, Most Scottish black puddings tend not to have too many lumps of fat visible in them. Uh, A British black pudding sort of in the Midlands, I don't think you'd get one without we actually make both types so uh, that we can uh, pander to both the markets. But uh, we make ours with barley, oats, fresh onion. We have an onion factory just down the road. Yeah. So whereas a lot of people use a dried onion, which they rehydrate, mm. we actually use fresh white onion, which is lovely as well. And then yeah. the, the earthy spices, salt, pepper, uh, coriander, uh, mace, nutmegs, things like that that everyone tends to put in a black pudding whether mm. you're from poland or germany uh so the kazanka and the uh, bloodwurst tend to be that sort of base but with a slightly different meal they'll use buckwheat mm. in poland because that's the what they have always used Fra- french the boudinoir tends to be a bit creamier a bit richer with very little meal in it because they don't have a, a, a tradition for that but mm. so very many flavors german smoke there's a lot it tends to be a lot of a, a harder style of black pudding as well you know you can almost hit it like a salami um but there's luckily they're all varied as as are lots of the british ones as well which is nice Mm. um so you probably wouldn't be aware but i I have actually made a version that's in one of my cookbooks Ah. um and i basically tried to make what potentially they could have made anglo-saxon viking period times um and so as you're saying about the exotic spices and things i had to take all that out it's been a while since I've made any, so I might just quickly check in the book and I can tell you what I've put in my version. Um, but it's interesting because I think I try to promote people using as much of the animal as possible. Um, and now I'm starting to doubt that with you guys and your fresh blood. Um, I'm looking more into the ethicalness of the dry blood and where it actually comes from. It seems to come um, from mixed sources or of unknown origin, I would say, in a lot of cases. The... All the blood, the dried blood powder is, is collected mm. as far as I'm aware <coughs> from European avatars that therefore are conforming to European law, as we do still. Right. Um, 
They're highly regulated environments with vets and inspectors, both before and after. And the olden days of, you know, uh, grandma saying, well, we used to walk around the back of the butchers and there'd be a pig running around and they'd dispatch it somehow with a gun or with a knife and it could get quite visceral. Uh, mm. These are very regulated and as humane as they can be, I think is yeah. the way we need to put it. But so mm. they collect the blood. These these factory units are huge. You know, yeah. there are tens of thousands of animals going through it every day. Mm. And how how you make a powdered blood, I'm not too sure if I'm aware, you know, to, mm. to suddenly turn it into a powder. Because, of course, when you're my blood dries up, you can see a little bit if you were a child with a, a, a blooded knee, but then it just yeah. disappears or evaporates. So <clears throat> I don't know what's holding it on, but it is from a factory shop, it, sorry, yeah. factory abattoir. They are humane. They, they can source it through then, of course, then industrially it gets put into bags and all the black pudding makers then mix it with water and make their black pudding. Mm. But it's certainly a lot nicer than getting up at four o'clock in the morning and going to an abattoir for five o'clock and then getting quite messy in a very dangerous yeah. environment with knives. Uh, I assume, do you have to make your um, puddings sort of fairly quickly? Because blood congeals, doesn't it, once it's... It does congeal, but there's also another law that says you can't remove an offal unless it's under three degrees in temperature. So right. as quickly as we um, collect it through our sieves, mm. we've got special sieves and everything, <clears throat> we then tape it all up, do all the registration documentation, mm. and then have to leave it in the abattoir chillers until mm. it's under three degrees. Only then can we remove it legally. So we let it stay there for 48 hours, the blast chillers, huge rooms. <clears throat> so we tend to slaughter on a Thursday and a Friday, leave it over the weekend, but then pick it up on the Monday. And that keeps us legal with everything. And our local abattoir now, where it used to be six miles away, that small abattoir closed. <clears throat> Sorry again. Our local abattoir is now 52 miles away. And so we go 52 miles each way yeah, twice. So we do the collection day, and then we do the harvest day, and yeah. then we do the collection day to pick up the barrels in food hygiene containers. So it's a little bit intense, and it's a little bit um, involved. But at the end of the day, that is our USP, and that's probably why we're the only ones doing it. It is a, a bit difficult. Yeah. Um and I'll, I'll guess I'll find out in a minute, but I, I'm assuming that it's going to make a difference to the taste. Oh, I really hope so, because it's, <laughs> it's going to be a very short podcast. No, as you yeah. put it in your mouth, blind and then tasting it, oh my God, this is the worst black thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, the podcast is called Will I Vike It? So the question is, oh, they, will I Vike oh, we're It? We're fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, I might have overdone that one a little bit on the bottom, but I think we, that should be pretty good. It's hard to ask the producer what it is, what it's like, because they're of course going to tell you that it's the best <laughs> thing you've ever going to eat. But it yeah. is, it is richer. It is less powdery, which I suppose you would expect because it hasn't got the dried blood powder in. You know, there's a there's a lack of grittiness yeah. about it. It's smoother. It doesn't hold together like a commercial because many of the commercial ones also have binders and things like that. So some of the commercial ones can be quite rubbery. Hmm. Um, ours isn't. Ours, if you you know treat it badly, will fall apart. See what you think. I'm quite scared now. <laughs> this is the first time I've done a cook along as well. On <laughs> oh no! Good. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's really good. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Oh, no, it's terrible. Interview's <laughs> over. <laughs> no, it's, it it's... That's got a, yeah, a really rich flavour. It's really kind of smooth, like you say, in the mouth. It's, um, yeah, bit of, I think bit I'm going to have to stop the buying the other stuff. Mm. Well, the thing is, and it's, 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 it's good and bad in a way, there are some, firstly, there are some very good, flavoursome, quality, dried blood, black puddings out there. Um, I won't mention who they are, but one of them happens to be a Scottish island. 
we'll keep it like that. And they are quite rightly very famous because they make a quality product. Mm. Other commercial ones we find are extremely bland. And what an average black pudding lover will say, oh, yeah, love it on a fried breakfast, yeah, and just coat it in brown sauce. Mm. Well, what you actually like is some sort of form of soft biscuit then that carries a lot of brown sauce. Mm. And as much as you know, when people say of any of our produce, and it, I know it comes across as a bit pompous, but we don't mean to, please try it without anything first. Mm. Because it's peppery, it's got a richness of flavour, and then the pepper hits you at the back a little bit. And, and then quite you a put bit a heat to it. You put a bit of an egg on that just to smooth it out, and then suddenly you've got a very and it's beautiful. And we, of course, we'd mm. say that because we make the thing, but it really is a different thing. Whereas a lot of people, when they even talk about white pudding, which we also make, ours is also very flavoursome. They say, mm. "Oh, I love white pudding. Irish white pudding on an Irish breakfast, delicious. Cover it in tomato sauce." And you go, well, again, what are you actually eating there? You're just eating another mm. soft biscuit to carry lots of tomato sauce, which we all love. And it's you know it's a it's a weird thing. So we do love our black pudding. We do eat it all the time. We do mix it all the time. And of course, well, the nice thing we're finding is that from thirty kilos to hundred kilos, we're now selling a ton a week. Mm. We're having to collect an awful lot of blood. We're not at capacity yet, but you know, it is a limited for us. It, it is a limited thing. It'd be loved. We'd love to almost, and we have done a couple of times in the year gone. I'm sorry we've run out. And it's lovely because it isn't limitless. Uh, the, the blood being the most important thing. The amount of oats, mm. I can get 10 tons of oats in tomorrow. <clears throat> but the blood's a limiting factor. I'm a big fan of pepper. So that, that heat that comes off the pepper at the end. Yeah, that's, that's a winner. <laughs> the only crit mm. we do get is generally if they're a bit sensitive to pepper. I mean, it's not, mm. it's not blow your socks off pepper, but it just builds gently. But again, mm. you'll very rarely eat black pudding on its own. It'll be with beans and egg, tomatoes, sausage, a bit of fried bread or toast. <clears throat> chili sauce would be my go-to. Whose sauce? Chili sauce. Chili? Chili. Oh, right. Oh, chili sauce, yes. Chili sauce. But, uh, no, I've got my mouth full. <laughs> <laughs> black pudding. Hmm. Yeah, I do like a mild chilli, especially, you know, some, something smoky as well, a bit of chipotle in there. That works. Mm. That was okay. delicious. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> I'm so pleased. It was a risk. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I, I, very quickly, I did say I'll tell you what I put in my, my uh, version. So it's oats, barley, onion, fresh, not dried, uh, pork fat, and then there's salt, pepper, coriander seed, mustard seed, thyme, savoury, and then you dried blood. Um, and I usually do it in a sausage casing. Beautiful, um, yeah. So it comes out sort of like that. Lovely, almost like the bury rings, they call it. And as you can see, yeah. with all the with it, with, there's, a, there's a nice grittiness with the oats and the barley. Mm. Yeah. Um, and... Obviously, historically in England, they used pennyroyal as well, didn't they? A very uh, well, overused in the early days, but very not used yeah. at all these days. And, you know, with a slight mintiness of pennyroyal. Uh, was very very keenly used so i did still put pepper in mine because as i say i'm a fan of pepper which at the time would have been imported so it would have been expensive so mine's quite a luxury pudding for the time um but it, it, it took a bit of experimenting because i took out some of the other flavorings that you'd add it kind of lacked anything at first and so i had to really play around with the quantities um and chuck a lot more herbs and things in there mm. just to try and give it a nice flavor you know um but compared to Wherever it's gone, your one. <laughs> I don't know if I need to make any anymore. I think I should be buying it. <laughs> it's readily available. <clears throat> Thank yeah. you. So um, whilst we're talking about food and I'm chewing and people are listening to me, I'm going to try your haggis as well, which I did cook Love just before haggis. we started. So it's still, <clears throat> it's warm to the touch. It's not hot. Um, I actually had someone on last week and we did an episode about Burns Night and Haggis. So this is a nice sort of follow-on one. The so, only difference uh, that we find with all the commercial haggis is and that we love haggis so much. All the famous ones like McSween's just love eating theirs. The only thing difference we have with ours 
is we tend to put a lot more of the meats in there, the heart and the lung. So ours is quite softer and juicier. It's less biscuity. Mm. And we, we, we love ours. I mean, I ate it on Burns Night, funny old thing. But we make it and eat it all year round, if I'm being honest. <clears throat> well, yeah, that's um, really nice flavour to that. It's not, because some people are put off by offal flavours. And I wouldn't say that as very awfully. That's quite meaty, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it's more meaty than offally, I think. But then I don't. I think I checked your ingredients. You don't use liver or anything, do you? So it's heart and lungs. <clears throat> Liver's a very strong flavour. So we mm. put uh, lamb's hearts, lamb's lungs, and then, like most commercial makers, now there's not much fat with lamb. Well, it's almost very no fat with lamb. So we use beef fat, beef suet. <clears throat> Pardon me. Mm. But ours doesn't, you can't biscuit ours. You can't slice it and fry it as a slice. Mm. There's far too much meat to oat ratio. Ours is quite oaty and certainly some good barley in there is a, a good hang you should have. But uh, Yeah, you can, it's got that bite to it from the barley. Um, it's quite creamy on the tongue. It's sort of very smooth. Mm. Oh, good oh. Yeah, very nice. It's not to everyone's taste, but again, we, we, uh, we, that little grocers on Piccadilly, Fortnum and Mason use it. So, uh, mm. we're, very, <laughs> we're very pleased, uh, that people do like it. We did two tons, we sold two tons of that in January. Wow. Yeah, Maiden sold mm. two tons, but we make it all year round. We sell about two or three hundred kilos. A month, probably might slow down a little bit in August, but mm. it's such a versatile product. Really, right, so is, is that all over Europe, or do you just sell in the UK? Just in the UK, uh, we'd like wow. to sell in Europe, but obviously export licensing and things mm. at the moment post Brexit have got very difficult, so we've stopped. But sure. uh, I think I think haggis is really underrated. Mm. Yeah, that's very nice. Um, a lot more. It's milder and subtler than the the black pudding flavour, and mm. they're quite quite creamy. I don't know if you could. Uh, I mentioned on the <laughs> other episode I did that it's illegal to import haggis to America because of the lungs. Oh, is it the lungs? Apparently so. Yeah, the FDA mm. won't won't allow it. Um, so if you ever want a haggis smuggling business, <laughs> it goes through Canada first, like it used to do in the early twenties mm. with certain other liquor. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm gonna use my fingers now because it's the last bits are a bit crumbly there but um i definitely want to get it all up because that's really good mm. i'm glad you like it well like i say if you need to uh sate your thirst and hunger uh, it's made mm. all year round so. no very nice i've got i have got a few in the freezer that i made myself again trying to sort of vike it up a little bit <laughs> Just be careful with the, mm. the the lungs, sorry, the mm. the liver, because liver is a, a lamb's liver is a really strong flavour. So, just mm. be aware. Yeah, my one's quite awfully compared to that. That's um, oh right, okay. But I didn't, I couldn't get hold of any lungs at the time. So mine, I actually made mine with <clears throat> um, goat liver, kidneys, and hearts. It was the pluck from the two two goats. Most your local butcher normally gets the pluck. Mm. Um, back with the lambs, especially if they're a, a producer as well, a farmer as well, and they yeah. should better give you the lungs. But they they tend to put the lungs in into dog foods and things like that. Oh, okay. A lot of these yeah. raw dog food producers tend to take those. Mm. So do you know? Uh, we sort of briefly touched on this before we started the episode, but um, do you sort of talking more about the historical side of using blood, as we were saying before about using the whole animal which would have been quite important historically because mm. you wouldn't let anything go to waste. Um, so how much do you really know about the history or are you just a producer? Or I know a little bit by dint of the fact that we've become producers and we've, we've done a little bit of the history work ourselves and we've yeah. been asked, uh, we did a bit of TV work years and years ago and so we did do a bit of research and it shocked me to, to see just how far back it's been recorded. Um, you know, uh, and mm. but then again, if they've been killing animals, we know about the ritualistic. We see pagan movies or movie, movies doing yeah. uh, paganistic rituals. We know that blood tends to be 
on the more not evil side but you know blood is a life given a life taker and you have lots lots of rituals whether they've been true or not when you look at some especially some of the old black and white movies where they're doing <laughs> something to a deity and a god <clears throat> yeah so yeah 800 bc but as you say if you're a hunter gatherer and there wasn't a supermarket obviously which there wasn't you had to use everything and if you look at which is lovely on youtube there's an inuit tribe or an inuit community and yeah. they do an awful lot i think it's in northern canada but they do an awful mm. lot of cooking and they show you where their freezer is which is underground of course because it's frozen yeah. through the the firma and they make an awful lot of blood sausage now and it's just blood sausage there might be a few herbs and spices but it literally is a, a soft boudin in the casing from the pigs or the deer that they've killed and they mm. you know they're catching carp and they're or even harvesting fresh water in the river during summer to then freeze it down in winter to have fresh water. And and that's obviously centuries old um, mm. of using blood. And, of course, it's a good binder. So you've got the warmth, you've got the richness, everything is healthy. There's a lot of iron in blood. And if you can't get it in winter from your natural foodstuffs, then eating blood sausage probably is a necessity for survival. Yeah, I guess you could. Oh, it's probably... part of that. It's part yeah, of that. I mean, if it was sort of a dried sausage, it would probably store relatively well. Thinking historically, so as you're getting ready for your winter. Well, these were frozen yeah, on the video, yeah. and then they yeah. just put them in boiling water. They plump up, but it's all intestine, mm. and all he's doing then is putting a bit of salt on, and he sits outside in the minus fifty degrees, and so his his air's just coming off. He's like that, and he's sat there with his huskies, and he's just chopping this blood sausage up. Mm. And just throwing it into his mouth, but it, you can see from the, the the texture and style, it really is quite spongy, and it's yeah. almost all blood. Because as you was, as we said when we were first chatting, some of the mm. blood cakes and the blood meringues. If you go to Italy, you can get a blood pudding that actually mm. is a sweet pudding. And one of my local hotels wanted some dried blood powder because we keep a little bit just for demonstration purposes. But we we had mm. to buy a ten kilo bag, so I gave it to Eric, and he took mm. it to his restaurant, and he made. Um, a blood meringue as a pudding. Yeah, I've heard I've heard of a blood meringue actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, other ones are blood pancakes, which they usually make. I think it's more of a Swedish thing, um, which is usually beer and and blood. Sounds pudding. good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then what else is there? There's the um, the black bread. Which we, so there's a um, there's a Viking Age find of a bread, and it's been analysed, and it contains a protein. Um, and it's often thought it was probably something like blood being added. You can see there's, they get inventive. There's lots of different ways that people have tried to make sure that they get in everything they can from the animal when they when they kill it. Which is the best guess, way. Yeah, it, it is the best way. <clears throat> I mean, we're, we're all getting I think the education in the last 20 years of where our food has come from has increased so much, mm. whereas before we just used to go to our Dewhurst style butcher, get our meat. The supermarkets came along obviously a lot, lot uh, earlier than 20 years ago, but mm. we started to care. And terms like free range was almost the minimum requirement. And mm. organic had its day, but lots of people now you're talking about regenerative farming, the, the great circle. But also, once that animal, if that animal is going to be dispatched and killed, the last mm. thing we ought to be doing is throwing a lot of it away and just oh. eating the tenderloin. And so you've got people that we deal with, uh, a company called Field and Flower, are really trying to harness. And a lot of chefs are now, not just the cheaper cuts for cheapness sake. I mean, some of these cheaper beef cuts now are so expensive because mm. they're so popular. But it's, it's covering everything from the animal to make sure that if it's going to go in and get killed for our consumption, we need to use as much of it as possible. And it, mm. it's increasing all the time, and blood is part of that. It's just that some industrial abattoir processors don't lend themselves to collecting the blood that way because it's got to be mm. collected fit for human consumption. It's sure. got to be collected cleanly. It's mm. very difficult to do that mechanically, remotely. And so we stand in the line with our filters and our bins mm. holding uh, a pig because things don't sit still when they're dying mm. and it's a, a very dangerous environment and i've got half an ear 
um, to prove. Well, this was back on it. They sewed the other half back on, but it, you know, it, you know, kicking hooves are kicking hooves. They are That's very what dangerous. That was, was it? A kick hooves. <clears throat> kicking hoof and a metal shackle. Oh. The, the local slaughterman said to me, and I said, oh, I think I've just been hit. Well, I knew I'd been hit. And he went, oh, it's all right, it's just a scratch. And so we carried on. Uh, it was slightly underplayed. Oh. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was in winter, so we were very cold anyway, so nothing moved. So once I got out of the abattoir, started to clean myself down, I realised that I was getting quite warm mm. here. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a little more than a scratch. Yeah. And I said to him the next week, he said, Peter, that, that wasn't a scratch. That half my age said, yeah, it's all right, really. <laughs> but it'd be a bit hard. You've got to man up on uh, it in the slaughterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised that didn't like shut down production or anything, having someone that had taken their ear off. This was a small family abattoir. We did 30 mm. pigs in the week, really. So we did 30 pigs in the one day. And it was me and this chap and another chap, and it's all of, it's a small, almost as small as the room I'm in now. <clears throat> it was a good while ago, but me coming off the line wouldn't have helped them. That have created loads of work for Peter and the other chap. So they said, "Well, you know, you're fine." Um, Carry on. Fine. Um, but Peter's no doctor, and I'm glad of that. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're still mates now. <laughs> That's the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, um, yeah, using the whole animal and stuff comes as well. Like, I've tried to use things like goat heads and sheep heads, and that's another one where to get them out of the factory is a nightmare. Um, well, goats uh, goat and sheep, of course, post um, a lot of the mad cow disease and yeah. things like that. Um, there's, there's lots of stuff that cannot be used and must be removed and gets double inspected spinal cords, spinal columns, uh, yeah. Things like that from animals over a certain age. Yeah. Um, and it's all there to make sure that the food that you see at your butchers, hopefully you're going to a butcher and not a supermarket, is the mm. best quality it can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it starts there. And that I, I, I said to you, I did a recent post specifically about not singing the praises of an abattoir, but just, hey, people, just appreciate, not what we do, but appreciate that these abattoir workers that you think do a messy and dirty job, and they do, but it's extremely, I mean, we've got video cameras everywhere in our abattoir, <clears throat> and there is someone yeah. monitoring those video cameras 24, well, all the time there is the process yeah. going on. The animals get inspected before, mm. during, and after, and then the after inspection line at ours, it's a a very busy abattoir, we must have of official inspectors that are literally grading and checking everything. Yeah. There must be five in the line, all highly skilled, all highly qualified. And the, the last abattoir um, inspector has the oval stamp that you sometimes see on the skin of pork, yeah. lamb and beef. And mm. only then is it passed fit for human consumption. I think that's good Isn't to it? know, though, because it, it then you know that everything's being done humanely and, and in the best way possible because it is one thing people worry about when they're eating meat is i mean you do see these videos pop up online of people kicking the animals and things don't you um and treating them badly and so then it, that almost taints everyone else because they just assume that that's the industry <clears throat> so it's good to know that actually there are things in place that you know protect the animals at the same time well, we're a very busy we're a very busy abattoir mm. um the video cameras start as the animals go in. They're inspected there, sorry, by the vet. They're inspected um, anti and postnatal. But so that all that is formally done, and they obviously count them in. They then check them in the layers. They then get moved through to where they're going to be dispatched and go through the abattoir process, and they get inspected there again. And I suppose, yes, because of those videos, we've all seen them. Um, sadly in every part of life there'll be cheats, there'll be people that don't have the same standards as you do I certainly couldn't be connected with any abattoir, the small village abattoir which was on the Sandringham estate uh, in Norfolk mm. was a family run thing, had been for years two or three people doing the job on a Monday morning from early doors to lunchtime and it was all proper done um, and I we, we used to work in another abattoir 
again a village one that's also sadly closed mm. um and that was a lovely family run correctly uh just correctly done um but yeah I, i've seen them online and i've seen when certain other um groups that are anti that i understand it and it doesn't mm -hmm. do the industry any good whatsoever mm. but ultimately you know they they get stunned and then they get dispatched and uh, it gets done there's a, regulations for everything 15 seconds and it's it's very efficient but at the end of the day i understand why people just want to see a nice piece of meat and please don't tell me about it it must be a tough i think <clears> depends <throat> on on how you are yeah in in your own mind i guess but um i think a lot of people would struggle to actually dispatch an animal um, and sort of go through the whole process. Although most people are happy to eat meat, I bet there aren't many people that would go as far as to actually slaughter an animal. Um, I think, you know, we're end of January now. I was driving in North Norfolk yesterday. I saw two shoots being run in the field. Well, every gun is a slaughterman. Um, yeah. Every fish, every specimen fisherman, especially sea fisherman, is a slaughterman. Um mm most river fishermen, but every European river fisherman is a slaughterman because, of course, um, in Germany, for example, you can't put anything back. You have to kill what you catch and eat it. Um, mm. I think slaughterman means things to people. Whereas you go, I like going fishing. Oh, that's lovely, the riverbank. Yeah, but I've caught a trout and it's in my mm. bag now. Um, so there's a lot of that. In it. Obviously, it gets cloaked in different terms. Mm. But yes, but like a, uh, we are awfully proud, proud. Yeah, I think that's the right word. That mm. we are in control of our whole business from start to finish. We're involved. We don't rely on a factory in Spain to do this yeah. job for us. We do that job. Like I said, it's a, it's a. I haven't actually ever worked out the accurate phrase to use. To make it not sound like I'm a, a, a scary chap that you would never want to meet. But I am yeah. a qualified slaughterman. To do that, I mm. had to learn how to dispatch with a knife. Mm. Um, and I'm pr proud, proud. I'm proud that I, my business does everything. Mm. Mm. It's, a, it's a sticky no, wicket. No, I think, I I think that is the I don't know if I've explained it well without yeah. coming across as a a bloodthirsty person. But you're, which yeah, I'm not. I mean, you said that you started off with pigs originally and you've sort of moved on with the process to the point where I would see it as you've probably looked at the ethics behind everything and realized that it's better for yourself to do it. So I can see why you would be proud yeah. of that. You know, you haven't shied away from the whole process and just gone, here's my animal, and then it turns back up and it's in a packet, you know you've actually taken control of that. So I think there is a reason to be proud of something like that. I mean, I've watched the, the, the first episodes of Jeremy Clarkson's farm thing. And he I took it. <clears throat> in the first series, he'd got some lambs in for the first time, because obviously he was doing everything for the first time. Mm. Uh, in the, and in a very Jeremy Clarkson way. We'll leave it there. But one of the things he had to, three lambs, I think, were barren. So he took them to the abattoir. He went to the abattoir work owner, blah, blah, blah. He said, I'm just going to go and say, goodbye and because he'd named them and the abattoir owner went uh too late and i actually think that clarkson was visibly moved yeah from having them running around in the field and obviously escaping and probably was swearing a lot when they escaped mm. it really did affect him that that had, that was it mm. now he knew that of course he isn't naive that going to an abattoir that's where they're going to go but uh, mm. he still wasn't obviously ready and prepared, yeah, yeah, and that certainly what uh, that wasn't acted. That wasn't acted yeah. in my eyes. I'm not a professional, and it is an interesting place to go. And some people don't like to go there. Um, you've just got to be a little bit honest without probably ramming okay. it down people's throats. It, it's there. Yeah. You know, it's there. You can't have a chicken breast and a chicken tikka masala on a Friday night with not knowing that that was once a chicken. Mm. So we, we did once upon a time when we first got a our own house and, and a garden. That was my dream was I wanted to make my own Christmas dinner from growing the sprouts to the bird on the table. And so we did actually hatch ducks. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and we did, and it, the whole time, obviously posting videos, they're swimming in the bar. Oh, look at your <clears throat> You'll never go through with it. And of course, I mean, what, I can't remember what they were, 10 weeks old, 12 weeks old, I think, when they're, mm -hmm. they're big enough. Um, and yeah, we went through with it, despite people go, you'll never be able to do it. And like, well, we did, and we did it as you know, humanely as possible. We even spoke to the RSPCA about it to make sure that they were happy that we were doing it in our own house and, you know, tried to do it all as quickly as possible. And funnily enough, I did... I, I envisioned there being a lot of blood. I was thinking I'll collect the blood in the bucket and I'll use that to use the whole animal. And we got like two drips come out of each one. I think like not enough. Yeah, birds. Yeah. I think in, Viet in Vietnam there's there's like a chicken. I think it might be Vietnam. There's like blood from a chicken to make a certain item. I've I've had chickens at home when I cook, you know got rid of them for, uh, to kill them for the pot. Goodness knows how many chickens you need for some of those dishes because, as like you said, yeah. there was no, there was nothing, there was no blood whatsoever. So mm. uh, I don't know what it is really. I know historically, there's um, around the 15th century, there are recipes that use things like duck blood, and like you say, you need like, mm. how many would you need to get a sausage? <laughs> it's incredible. Like it's probably not even worth the effort at that point. Again, if you've got an animal like a pig, there's going to be a lot of blood. So use it, but when it's something that's got a couple of drips, you got yeah, to wonder it, why get about four liters off a pig. I suppose mm -hmm. if you um, a duck heart, because obviously certain gastro pubs have you know uh, chickens' hearts and chickens' livers mm -hmm. and duck hearts. I suppose maybe they mash the heart up because that's. But then again, it's all fibers and blood. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. know. I haven't haven't a scoop yet. we I'm not making a chicken black pudding anytime soon. So the mm -hmm. other one at the time as well from the 15th century was a, a, a wealthy thing was to have porpoise, porpoise blood pudding. Wow. Um, so <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you put that on the range, but um, when we look back at the history, that is one of the one of the ways that people did it. There's not much that hasn't been used at one point to make a blood sausage. There's horses and things as well. Um, and there's bound to be because, again, if you I mean, I, I know it's unpalatable to the average uh, British person, horses, and uh, my family have horses uh, mm. for what we normally use, riding and joke, show jumping and things like that. Mm. So to see what happens just over the water, um, but at the end of the day, you know, depending on how far you go, uh, the domestic dog is used. So we've got to be careful how we judge people because, of course, mm. to the, the to the to an average vegetarian and a vegan. Mm. What I do is a, is abhorrent. So I understand that it's basically it's it's attitude, it's history, mm. and there's just certain things. I mean, I I don't like eel, and when I lived in Germany, my next door neighbours ate eel noon, and and they had their little smoker. And every yeah. time we're invited over, I always have to have a little bit. <laughs> but it's just something I wouldn't ever risk. But they used to go mad for these mm. things that were only about this long and as thick as your finger. And it was just, and it was so rich and heavy. Mm. And it was just, you know, one mouthful was enough for a month for me. <laughs> I have a question that maybe won't go out because it was just something someone asked me and I don't know the answer. I could probably Google it, but as you've farmed pigs. Okay. Why don't, why don't we milk pigs? We milk cows and sheep and goats. It's come up on one of my courses, and I just like, do you know what? I'm not a farmer. I don't know. Pigs only produce milk when they just stay, but then even cattle would only do that as well. But we make them do it. Yeah. Pigs... You no, know, because historically they didn't either. Like pigs were used for meat, and that was it. Um... Well, pigs are technically above ground rabbits, aren't they? So. If you imagine that they must have been at the bottom of every food chain historically. So they'd live in the jungle, funny old thing, like a chicken would. They'd live in the woods to keep. And But pigs, like rabbits, evolved to make a lot of pigs quickly because they are on everyone else's food chain. And that would have been from, mm. uh, okay, not pterodactyls, but you know what I mean, whatever animals are around in the wild. <clears throat> so a pig just ate for about three months, three weeks, and three days. But straight after that, so once the pig has given birth to normally 10 to 17 pig piglets, mm. which is a lot, yeah, um, it would then 
as soon as it had weaned itself, or as soon as the farmer weans the pig off, three three days later they come back on heat, ready to go again. So, yeah. Although commercial pigs, you think, well, that's cruel. Actually, it's the, it is what they were evolved to do. So mm -hmm. three days later, they bloom. They send out the pheromones. If they're fit and healthy, the boar in the pack, the, the herd would go and go in again. So she'd be pregnant yeah. again within three days of waving goodbye to the litter. Mm. And so commercially, you get two and a half litters a year out of a pig. And that's what happens. You say, oh, no, God, it's all industrial. But pigs in the wild did that. They, yeah. they were always meant to be permanently producing because every cat, wolf, coyote, and the equivalent of whatever else was a carnivore in the area said, mm. happy days, pigs live here. And that's why they squeal when you pick them up, because it's a warning sign uh, for the rest of the, 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 the flock, the herd, their mates. Yeah. Yeah. And hence, you know, hence why ducks give, you know, 10 or 12 rides straight away, but 10 days later on the pond, there are seven left, and then there's four left, and then there's... Mm. You know, it's the great circle of life. Now, I know, obviously, ducks get flattened on a road, but again, pike and weasels and carrion take them as they see fit. So there'd be no ducks left. There'd be no pigs mm. left because they'd just all die out. And so pigs are meant to breed. And I just wonder if either the milk's not very nice or it's just the fact that they're it was easier to say to a cow that has one calf a year, mm. keep going. Yeah, because I kind of went down... Sorry, go on. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've never been asked it. <laughs> Maybe I should keep wow. this in then because I thought you'd go, that's a stupid question. Why are you asking? <laughs> the other things I thought is, um, I mean, pigs, potentially, I don't know whether they'd be too aggressive to try and attached to a machine and milk but then historically they wouldn't have been on a machine but it's funny we've never even like tried to breed them that way we've bred animals to do certain things and characteristics over the years well, we've done the goats haven't we there's lots of lots yeah. of uh, civilizations that still live on goat milk makes you think that maybe it just doesn't taste good i don't Damn. know <laughs> I've never so, been asked that question. <laughs> I'm going to find I said, out. I didn't know that. whether to include this in the episode, <laughs> but now I think maybe I should because. Uh, yeah, I'm going to find out. Yeah. yeah. I thought as you kept pigs, you might have known, but that's all right. Yeah, but also, because I was, I've always been interested in the history of pigs, hence I know a bit mm. about the evolution of pigs. Mm. You'd have thought that, oh, yes, and that tribe there or that people there. Da -da. I can't mm. imagine some people didn't mm. but they're an asian animal they're from asia historically obviously we had the european wild boar which we're introducing again now and obviously some of the domestic ones have escaped and they're wreaking havoc in the new forest and places like that yeah yeah um you uh, talk to the average american they'll say you've done what you've got rid of them and now you've let them out again oh yes Good luck. <laughs> I think it's the same with beavers and stuff, isn't it? They're all getting sort of re-released and rewilded and reintroduced. I just uh, wonder if our yeah. ecology has not grown up. You know, I hope I'd love. Yeah, I'd love to see a beaver and an otter and all the natural things, but you know, mm. the, the, the landscape has changed somewhat. So I hope they do survive. Mm. I don't see them being as destructive as a wild boar if you talk to the average farmer that has a wild boar around him. Uh, he or her, and then they, they say, well, no, you know, a beaver, yeah. okay, they might do a bit of damming, but what they don't do is kill a cornfield. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess that's the other issue, which comes back to the whole hunting of deer and stuff as well, is that there are no natural predators. So if you've got these pigs out there, then someone's going to have to manage them like we do with deer. And you have to, because deer are very successful in this country. Yeah. And, you know, certain tree farmers and crop farmers say, well, the deer just take everything. But we've got the same with wood pigeon. I mean, wood pigeon mm. can, you know, a flock of 500 wood pigeon can, that's that, fin that's that field finished until I've next had year. had the pigeon experience in the garden. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they always get the, the nice brassicas. Thing, 
But wood pigeon yeah. are delicious. <laughs> I love eating wood pigeon. Not enough meat on them, though. Just take the breasts off. Just take the yeah. breasts off. Yeah, that's what I've always done with them. Yeah, yeah. Peel, peel, peel them, peel them, and uh, like mm. a like a, a jacket, and then take two beautiful medallions. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, lovely. Very nice. Yeah, especially with our bacon. <laughs> oh, you do bacon as well. Yeah, we do. Uh, we, uh, there's a bit of a sideline. It's about eight percent of the business, but we do lots mm. of cheek bacon. We're talking about heads. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of guanciale, the Italian cheap bacon, which is basically um, pancetta yeah. bacon. And, uh, oh, no, very sweet, very fatty. But again, on the on the wild game, you know, mm. venison is a very lean meat. It's a beautiful meat. Pigeon mm. breast is a very lean meat. But yeah. you wrap pigeon breast in streaky bacon or um, lardons of, you know, a load of lardons from a, a belly or a cheek. And... Uh, You've got a nicely moist, hopefully mm. if it's cooked correctly, piece of meat. Yeah. I think it's it's a little bit like um we mentioned liver before. I think it's that same combination. You kind of your liver and bacon, your pigeon and your bacon. It's there's a similar the flavour, I think. <laughs> yeah. Bacon makes everything better. <laughs> I think is the answer most people give when they say I could ne I could never give up meat because of bacon. It's just that one thing everyone everyone loves. Well, it's, it, it is evocative, isn't it? If uh, When I had friends a couple of years ago staying over, I couldn't get them up. They'd all had a few beers the night before. They're strewn all over the floors. It's like a summer party. Mm. I got the pan on and started cooking bacon. It was almost like the Pied Piper of Hamden. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they all arrived. <laughs> so I think we'll start to wrap up because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, no worries. So there's a few standard questions that I ask everyone. Okie dokie. No worries at all. Okay. I'm ready. Um, so the first one is, if you had an unlimited budget, what would be your dream project? Weirdly, I think it, off the top of my head, because we've just been talking yeah. about what we've been talking about, mm. I would love... Abattoirs are really struggling because of the rules and regulations and because of... A lot, the rules, some of the rules and regulations are very, very valid, but it's difficult. Mm. It's a messy job. and There's not a lot of money in it. So you, you're always biting at things. I'd love to do an abattoir, bearing in mind it's my business and I'm in that business. Yeah. Just design, and no one's doing it these days, but a brand new abattoir with all the modern techniques that we now can involve, because many abattoirs are 100 years old. Mm. Um, and just not just to make it humane, but to make it safe for everybody. And that also makes it humane. Mm. Um because, but that would cost millions to do because to do things right, to keep animals relaxed, because it does an abattoir work and no favours to have a stressed animal. Mm. So, uh, yeah, like we said before, kicking all the, seeing all the videos of people mishandling and abusing uh, animals, it's not good. So, mm. yeah. Doesn't it take the flavour? Is that right? It, yes, it can do. Yeah, if you yeah. get... Uh, especially with beef and pigs, you, there, there are mm. certain chemical reactions. This is not a, mm. an old wives' tale. Yeah. Uh, a, a poorly stressed pig won't set; it'll stay flaccid because mm. of the chemical, because the chemicals it releases—not just adrenaline, but there's something yeah. else—and it no totally ruins the meat. Mm. Um, and same with cattle that I know. Of. I'm sure it might happen with sheep, but I'm yeah. not a sheep expert. But definitely mm. pigs. DFD, and you can get meat that won't set, and it's just totally stressed. You can get because of um, the dispatching of an animal. If they're yeah. so stressed and the blood is pumping so hard, it can actually burst vessels. All right. No, so it can. You know, it can be an awfully. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's very easy to do it badly. Yeah. Yeah, very easy to do it badly. So bear in <laughs> mind that's what we've been talking about. We haven't been talking about Ferraris or jet aircraft or anything like that. I think that's what I'd do. But I've always wanted yeah. to do that. I've always yeah. wanted to do something properly that I'm yeah. proud of, although you wouldn't have a gallery of visitors probably, but be able to do that and say, no, this is and not act as a an educating messiah, but help mm. the education process so people respect it a bit more. Mm. I think, yeah yeah big abattoir but not near your house or mine <laughs> okay so the next question is and i don't know how well you'll know because it depends how much you know about the period 
um, is do you think you could survive on a Viking Age diet? Yes. Yep. Yeah, because I'd have to. You'd have to. <laughs> a good answer. Well, yeah, a, a lot yeah. of raw food, a lot of raw food, um, obviously, because uh, that's what people did. And uh, yeah, I'd probably a bit, I'd probably be a bit slimmer. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the last question is: Is there any food you'd miss if you were living on a Viking Age diet? Oh, that means I got to know about a Viking Age diet. I'd imagine. Yes, smoked bacon, smoked streaky bacon. Did we have that in Viking times? Anglo-Saxons definitely had bacon. Yeah, it's written about. If, I can't remember the details, but there are some like land rents and things were paid in bacon. So, so you're I good on I that eat, front. Yeah, I think I could eat bacon. Not every day. You're going to be missing day. things like sugar, coffee, tea. Those come up a lot. Chocolate, coffee, coffee. Chilies, tomatoes, potatoes. Um, bacon. Bacon and coffee then. Bacon and coffee. You'd be fine with bacon. You've got your bacon. So it's a coffee you'd miss. Yeah, I love my coffee. Yeah, I love my coffee now. Yeah, that does coffee. come up quite a bit, I think. Well, now you've, now you've educated me, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask you earlier is why fruit pig? The name. Right. When... Um, I was a small holder. I was working in a butchery shop and I wanted to do an extra bit of income. So I started something I called the Home Butchery Service, HBS, mm. where people would have their animals legally slaughtered. Mm. They'd take them home and then I'd go to their house with my little Land Rover and my little yep. knives and blocks and I'd cut their pigs up and wrap them up there and then for them. So the home butchery service. I then started to make sausages mm. by hand with a little stuffer. And I went to this uh, lady's house and she had four pigs. We cut them up. Um, we then produced sausages to a recipe that I've always done for me, which was dried bread uh, from a local uh, bakery and mm. uh, hand spices and ground. And she loved them so much. And she's quite a, a business orientated lady. She said, we've got to sell these sausages. And I said, well, okay, missus, uh, but uh, I'm not too sure. I'm a bit busy doing this and that and the other. <clears throat> and uh, she said, oh, no, no. And with that, it went quiet. But mm. what this lady then did with the, I don't know, 10, 15 pounds I'd made her, mm. she then went around all the posh hotels in the area, Norfolk, Cambridgeshire and Lincolnshire, and said, right, we'll start delivering to you in three months' time, came to me and went, right, the business is set. And I said, What? And uh, she said, oh, I've been to so-and-so, I've been to so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, they'd like orders. And I went, uh. And the pigs we used for that, this lady, she mm. kept them through winter and had an organic, uh, an organic farm down the road. And she mm. just used to throw all the fruit and veg from the organic farm shop right. um, to the pigs. And they lived on it. And so fruit pigs, autumn there pigs fed primarily on fruit. That makes sense. Um, what's the worst food you've ever eaten? The worst food I continually hate, and it's pathetic, I do know this, is celery. So I hate eating celery, I hate seeing celery, and it's pathetic, and I have no defence apart from the fact that I hate it. If I see it in a, in a, a beef stew, even though I yeah. can't taste it in the beef stew, it affects how I think about it. I cannot defend that, it is ridiculous. So that's celery. I once had some very hot octopus legs yeah. in South Korea. Not only were they crunchy on the outside, they were undercooked on the inside. Mm. And the whole thing, and it was just blinding heat as well. There was very little flavour. And uh, that was not very nice. Octo Barbecued octopus legs, or bulgogi, as the Koreans would call it, octopus mm. legs but badly bulgogied the good answer <laughs> <clears throat> what's the most memorable meal you've ever had i've been fortunate i've had lots i don't think because i'm struggling i don't think mm. i have one i eat some beautiful food made by people who care whether it's at home i don't go i don't go to restaurants really i've been to a mm. couple of nice ones but none of the really famous ones 
I don't do that. I'd like to. I just haven't got the money for it. And we supply mm. some of them, actually. I always try and get in there. Um, but I just, I, I, like a, I, I like a good slow curry. And so some of those that I've had from friends that have made them over pork belly marinated for two days, some, mm. some of them really hot, but so beautifully spiced that the heat hits you and then just disappears and, and it's just Moorish. Mm. I don't have one. I've been really full. I, I love cooking myself, but I've got some friends that just know how to cook and it can be real simple yeah. stuff. A good, you know, no, I can't think of one. Sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up on that one. Thanks for watching and I'll see you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 